This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. This episode is presented by Eco Soap Bank, a global humanitarian nonprofit that's working to save, sanitize, and supply recycled soap with hygiene education for the developing world. Hi, I'm Amy Risley, the founder of SkinFix, and to me, it's a matter of science. Finding a beauty heritage brand is like finding a needle in a haystack. I'm Kelly Kovac, founder of Beauty Matter. Unlocking the value in a heritage brand requires vision and a very particular skill set that balances business acumen and branding skill. Legacy can be a liability or a unique differentiator. There's no one-size-fits-all strategy when it comes to unlocking the value in a brand's heritage. Every business has a different history. Taking a 160-year-old heritage formula for treating eczema and turning it into an innovative and relevant brand is certainly not for the faint of heart. In 2014, Amy Reesley discovered SkinFix, nurturing the business into a brand that's become purpose-built for this moment. So hello, my friend. I am so happy to have you here, Amy. And it's nice to just see your face, even though we're doing this by voice. I can, uh, it's a podcast, you know, we're, we're still doing it kind of Zoom style. So how are you? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. I love your podcast. I love Beauty Matter. And it is also great to see your face. Hopefully in person soon. I know. You know, I went in trying to sort of pull this together, um, kind of putting my thoughts together. I was trying to figure out how long we've known each other because it's been a really long time. You were one of my first clients when I left Bliss and set up my first consulting shop, which, I mean, that's over 20 years ago. It was, I think, 1999. Wow. Yeah. Long wow. time ago. I know. Yeah. But and here we are. Amazing. Multiple and you were like amazingly insightful and helpful then and and continue to be amazingly helpful and insightful <laughs> to well, my business in the industry. <laughs> well, thank you for those kind words. But I just love, you know, it's always fun to have um people on both the webinars and the and the podcast where there's a history because it just feels like you can go so much deeper in conversations because they're sort of this this kind of shared experience. So I'm looking forward to diving into what you're doing now. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it too. You always yeah. ask such good questions. Well, all right. So let's get started. Yeah. Um, you know, your career has really been this amalgam of big beauty and entrepreneurial startups. And yes. Since 2014, you've been building a brand around a 19th century heritage formula for treating eczema. I love heritage brand stories. I'm a total junkie for heritage brands and have such respect for people who lead these brands and kind of resurrect these brands because it takes this passion vision they really are a labor of love in many respects and if they're not they ne they don't work i think that's kind of the secret sauce but to set the stage can you share a little bit about your backstory and how you discovered this business yeah i had worked in beauty as you know from the beginning of my career at l'oreal and then at cody and then i worked 
for Lauder in the UK when um, they just acquired Joe Malone. So I was part of the team that worked with Joe during her earnout phase. And um, then I moved to Canada, Nova Scotia, actually, where there's no beauty business. <laughs> no, but you found product. one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I had a couple of babies, and I was stay at home mom for about five years, which was awesome. Uh, would never trade that for the world. And thought, okay, now it's time to do something again. Um, and I worked for a company that was selling fish oil to the supplement space. I was very excited by the wellness industry and learned a lot about the regulatory environment related to fish oil and the claims we could make. That company then sold to DSM and moved to New Jersey. And so I was out of work and looking around and I was introduced to a woman locally who had here in Nova Scotia, Canada, who had a formula that her great-great-grandfather had created in 1870 in Yorkshire, England. And the family had emigrated to Canada in the early 1900s and had continued to make this formula in their kitchens and sell it privately for decades. And I loved the formula because it had four pharmaceutical-grade active ingredients in it at very high levels, which having come from L'Oreal and Lauder, I would never historically been able to do. You know, you sort of pick one ingredient, build a marketing story around it. This thing was loaded with actives. But what really captivated me, Kelly, were the letters, the basically the early testimonials that people had written to this family over the decades. There were literally hundreds of letters from people who had serious skin issues, things like diabetic foot ulcers, um, a form of dermatitis called lichen sclerosis, psoriasis, and had tried everything, seen lots of doctors, tried lots of modalities, and finally found this healing balm from 1870, and it had worked to heal their skin. So that that was a hook. That's what got me, and um, I ended up mortgaging my house and buying this little brand, which was a formula and a good name and a great story, and um, a vision for what clean skincare could really be, um, and that that it could actually be medicinal and, and truly treat skin issues, serious skin issues. So I find it so interesting that a business based around a formula and an ethos of a brand created in 1870 feels almost purpose-built for this moment in time. Um, It's clinical and science-based, it's empathetic, and it lives comfortably in premium and mass outlets. And I know that it didn't just happen. You built into kind of the opportunity. Obviously, sort of a set of circumstances has kind of amplified all of that, but and and really maximize the the confluence of trends that put skin fix kind of in the crosshairs of the moment. Can you share some of the challenges that you've turned into differentiating factors and have actually fueled the growth of skin fix? Yeah, that's such a great question. I mean, we love the quote luck is a combination of when opportunity meets preparedness. And I think that is just absolutely skin fix. I mean, you captured it beautifully. We have been sort of doing our thing and then all of a sudden, you know, it's the thing um, that is, um, you know, it's kind of the hottest category of skincare right now. I think for us, the biggest challenge with skin fix is that we were so early in with this concept. When we first launched at U.S. Retail in um, 2017, it was clean was just happening. Clean was really just happening in skincare. And this idea that clean could also truly be clinical medicinal was just, you know, five years off. It was, it was uh, a long way off. And so we believed in what we were doing. We believed that clean could be truly clinical, could be truly science led and efficacious. And we 
kept going with our product formulations that treated specific skin issues. We worked hard to gather the clinical efficacy behind those products. We worked with the derm community, which was really kind of the long game at the time, because uh, at the time, derms were not interested in clean. Really showed them our science, showed them our formulations, got them on board. And um, it was a huge challenge because it just wasn't what people were focused on at that moment in time. They were focused on sort of products being clean and, and smelling great and having all these sort of trendy ingredients in them. And you know, there certainly was a market for people that had true skin issues that were interested in skin fix, but it didn't sort of have the momentum behind it that it has right now. Um, and so that was, that was a challenge sort of staying in the game and really, um, pushing for what we believed in and staying true to our ethos. I know that we, we talked about this kind of early on that, you know, one of the things about white space opportunities that no one really talks about is, and why they're elusive is that, is that when you take a white space opportunity and try and put it in a retail environment, there isn't a natural home for it. No. And I know that you were kind of up against that because, you know, you have this portfolio of products that live, that potentially could live in multiple sections in sort of a, call it a target um, or the the like. And you don't naturally fit into sort of like, the beauty skincare set. Absolutely. And I know you and I have discussed this for a number of years. It was um, it was a challenge because, to your point, we could have been in the HAVA section, in the, in the sort of skincare section. We could have been in first aid. We could have been in the natural set. We were actually put in the middle of the Derm recommended skincare set originally at Target amongst the CeraVe's, Cetaville's, Avena, and Lactins. And here we are, this little brand trying to say, oh, and by the way, we're clean. <laughs> we can't right. do everything <laughs> they can do, but we're clean. Um, it was really a challenge, but it was also an opportunity because um, it really established the fact that we were truly clinically led and efficacious. We weren't just another sort of new natural or clean product on the market, but uh, it was, it was hard. I mean, the retailers um, have always been really uh, collaborative with us in terms of trying to figure out where we fit um, and what makes the most sense for us. Clean and sustainable brands have really become table stakes. So it went from you were too early to everyone's doing it. Yes. Um, you know, the problem, the problem is both, you know, it's, they're open to interpretation. There's no regulation on terms. And more importantly, it's not really a differentiating factor. Um, one of the trends coming out of the pandemic, though, is the fact that science is cool and people want brands that they can trust. How Amen. has this shift impacted your business and what are you harnessing in this moment from a marketing perspective to, to sort of differentiate from this clean, stable, take kind of table stakes, undefined um, landscape we have? Yeah, great question. I mean, the moment's really harnessing us. <laughs> <laughs> it has really just kind of taken us and um, we have a tremendous tailwind in our business right now, which is exciting. I agree with you. Clean is is foundational. I think if you're going to launch a brand, 
20, in 2021, it better be clean. You certainly better have a strong position on sustainability. All of the packaging vendors have made great strides with respect to offering packaging that's more sustainable. But it's never been the focus for us. It's never been what we really talked about. It's just been something that we do because we believe it's the right thing to do. Uh, but science has always been our most important factor and, and the clinical efficacy behind the products. And with COVID, you know, it's dermatologists, doctors have become really important influencers on social media, as you know, we're looking to our medical community and our medical professionals for guidance and direction. And the fact that our product is actually clinically proven to treat things like hand eczema or face dermatitis, which are just such important issues right now as we're washing our hands and wearing masks, um, is just been just a perfect sort of confluence of of timing. And we're also, you know, accessibly priced. We're not super premium. And I think that um, in this environment, we're exactly what the consumer is looking for. And we're exactly what the medical community is recommending. And we've just been incredibly lucky that um, we exist at this moment in time. Do you find consumers are asking different questions now or framing them differently than they did, say, 10 months ago? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, there's just, there's a lot of uh, more knowledge around ingredients, but there's even, they're even asking things like, is this an FDA approved ingredient? I mean, it blows our mind. We're like, oh yeah, this is <laughs> awesome. You actually know what that means and why it's important, you know, that it's been proven for decades to work to treat this concern. They're asking a lot about the levels of our ingredients, the percentages, which at Skin Fix, we've been um, we've always called out on our packaging, the percent of our active ingredients, but they seem to be more interested in that. Um, they're interested in, you know, making sure that we don't have fragrance, things that they've learned from a lot of the, the sort of skin influencer and derm community. Very different questions, I think, than they were contemplating 10 months ago. You know, I think one of the one of the offshoots of this moment, I mean, it's something that we were actually seeing happening as early as I don't know, 2018, 2019 is sort of the rise of real expertise. Yes. But overnight, sort of influencers, that's, that happened in March when the world sort of fell apart around us. But like overnight, these influencers that served up perfectly curated Instagram moments felt so completely out of touch. And those that kind of peddled drama, it's just like, yeah, there's enough drama in the world. Like, I don't care who did what to you and keep it off right. YouTube and out of my <laughs> out of my social feed. Yeah. Um, and it really did happen really quickly. And the skincare category obviously is having a moment on social media. And pe as people look for real information and experts, like you said, dermatologists and estheticians, and it's also given rise to kind of this, this new influencer or the skinfluencer, which I find, I find this group of people so interesting because they do try and peddle in facts and there's a transparency when they're wrong. And they are very sort of honest about, hey, I don't know everything. I'm not a scientist. And they're really sort of having a dialogue rather than sort of pushing information, I think. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the shift and how it's impacted not only the skincare category, but the industry at large. Because I, I think this 
kind of influencer is is here to stay at least for a while. I love it. I embrace it. I think um, it's been an incredibly important shift. And I agree. I think it's here to stay. I think that um, the honesty and the transparency and also the level of sort of research that these influencers are putting into the products and the category and, and establishing sort of what their ethos is, not pushing it on other people to your point, saying, this is what I think, and this is what I know, and this is how I know it, and this is why I think it, but you do you. Um, I, I love it. I think it's so refreshing. I mean, I had reached out to Hiram Yarbrough, I think it was about 15 months ago, I was supposed to go to Hawaii on vacation, and I was following him and just loved his ethos. We're very aligned in our ethos about formulation. And I had reached out to him and asked him if he wanted to have lunch with me when I was in Hawaii last Christmas. And it was really, you know, at the sort of precipice of him really gaining traction on Instagram. He hadn't launched TikTok yet. We just had lunch and I asked him a lot of questions about sunscreen in particular, because I, I don't know a ton about sunscreen. And I was asking about, about that. Um, but you know, he, he loves skin fix. He loves the way we formulate and that has been incredibly helpful to us as a brand, but I just, um, people like him, people like Carmine Montalto, Skin Karma. I just love the fact that they have a strong point of view. You know, they have a really strong ethos and, um, and it, I think it's great for the category. I do think it's causing major changes to the category and major shifts. And, and I agree it's not going away. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this dynamic plays out. But I, I love the transparency. I love the education that they're giving to consumers. And I love the dialogue that we're having in skincare right now. Yeah, I, I think it's such sort of – the, the, the passion that they have is so kind of palpable where the the influencers that were kind of rose to success are sort of a different genre where it was a bit more manufactured. And listen, they were very much on trend at that moment of serving up these beautifully curated, perfect moments on Instagram. Um, but this is a, a totally different animal. It really is. And you know, I have two Gen Zs living in my house, <laughs> 15 and 16 year old, 16 year old daughter who's very engaged in social media. And, you know, I love the fact that they're getting this level of information, this level of honesty, this level of dialogue um, across all categories, but particularly in skincare. I think it's great. Um, they're getting information and they're, they're able to make their own opinions about what they do with that information. Um, but I, I embrace it. Do you see your your daughters kind of gravitating to skincare more than color? Absolutely. I mean, well, I obviously mean, because their mom is in the business. Well, so maybe that's sort of a weighted question. But. She could be more loyal. <laughs> she could be more compliant with her skincare. But no, I mean, we went through the the you know, the years of the big Ikea makeup drawers and just piles of makeup. And I'd come home from the women's wear daily event and she'd pilfer, you know, through my makeup. And now it's, she's streamlined her makeup. She uses very few things, but she's also streamlined her skincare. You know, there also, there's this trend, as you know, towards using less skincare, really minding the health of the skin barrier, not over exfoliating, not over sort of attacking our skin with all kinds of things, not chopping and changing as much as we used to. You know, I find that there's a few core products that she uses every day that she replenishes that 
that's kind of a new trend as well. I mean, there's been so much chopping and changing that she's kind of like, these are my cores. And then I might add a few things here and there, but definitely skincare is winning the day in, in my opinion, amongst the Gen Z's. At Beauty Matter, we're committed to leveraging the platform we've built and the community we've nurtured to help make change happen. Our first impact partner is the Eco Soap Bank, a global humanitarian nonprofit that's saving lives by rescuing, recycling, and redistributing soap to communities that otherwise lack essential hygiene. Eco Soap Bank is quite literally changing the world, one recycled bar of soap at a time. As an industry, we can help them empower women and fight preventable disease. It's time to get involved. Learn more about partnership opportunities and the global impact a bar of soap can have by visiting ecosoapbank.org. Do you think that this, I mean, it definitely is this less is more kind of trend, buying good quality. It's kind of a very almost traditional way of thinking, but you know, the the beauty business for so long, especially if you're in retail, has been, you know, growth has been fueled by launches and skew proliferation. Do you think this new mindset is going to have brands kind of rethinking how they tap into growth? Because it's not necessarily, I'm not sure new is going to be the lever it once was. A hundred percent. I mean, you look at Leah Yu and Crave Beauty and she's got a tiny little capsule collection of skincare and she hasn't launched anything, I think in a year, over a year. And she's blowing up, you know I mean? And um, I mean, Sephora asked us not to launch anything all of last year because the Sephora consumer is just really getting to know Skin Fix and they wanted them to really... um, you know, get to know the brand. And it was hard for me because I love to innovate and there's so many categories I want to tackle, but to just not launch anything and to just really get the consumer comfortable with the products that we have, I think it's a definite shift. Um, and I think it's a good shift. You know, there's a lot of waste in the category. There's a lot of in and out. There's, um, you know, how many times have products launched and, you know, been gone in a year or two and think of all the sort of wasted time, money, and environmental impact of that. So it's it's a huge change for our industry. You know, one of the other, I mean, there are, are so many things that have changed in the past 10 months, but, you know, I think one thing that I think is going to have kind of a very profound effect is the fact that any rules around distribution, preconceived or otherwise, have literally been decimated. I mean, brands to be successful now have to meet consumers where they are, be it Neiman Marcus, Sephora, Target, Amazon, online or in-store. You know, the same customer is in all of those places. And it's really more of a mindset of convenience and being there when she wants it. Um, Can you share your thoughts and experience on this shift and kind of the convergence of mass and prestige? Because you've been doing this before this happened. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, you know, it's a a perfect moment for us. We're really, I know. I'm so happy for you. (laughs) Well, thank you. We're one of those 
few brands, I think, that can live in both environments very comfortably because we're sort of, you know, premium at mass and accessible at prestige. I love the sort of blending of the channels. I think it's exciting for for skincare. Um, And I, you know, I do think it's going to cause a little bit of a shakeup because while there's a convergence, there still is a very much, I think right now, a value mindset. And certainly the skin influencers are starting to help to promote that. I think this idea of a skin cream for $200 is not something that Gen Z is, is really embracing. And I think to live in a mass environment or to live in a sort of Kohl's and Sephora environment, I think you do have to respect certain pricing thresholds. Um, but I, I do think it's exciting. I mean, you look at something like the inky list and the ordinary sold at Sephora, I mean, it's $10 serum. And so there is no such thing as I think mass and prestige anymore in that sense. I think it's about to your point, it's about convenience, about meeting the shopper where she's at, giving her access to the product where she is. I know just again, from my own experience with my kids, there's just such a different mentality around the price of something. They're very value focused. You know, this generation is very value focused. They want a good product, but they want a deal or they want something that's not crazy expensive. It's a totally different thought process than when I was you know, their age. And it was all about, you know, having access to the creme de la mer or the most expensive product. It's just a very different mentality. And this blending of channels is just really helping to create more of a sort of democratization of, of skincare shopping. And it's exciting. You know, because you're, you live in kind of these very different environments, do you show up differently based on the environment obviously there's a consistency in brand and and that type of thing but but do you kind of shift messaging or shift assortment or you know make adjustments based on sort of the the context of the distribution we don't um we're exclusive at sephora now um but we are going into the Kohl's as Sephora partnership, which we're really excited about. And I think the beauty of our brand is we're very much consistent in our messaging that we're about delivering science-led effective products to treat certain skin concerns. So that messaging doesn't change no matter where we're at. You know, it's about this product treats this condition and and this is why. Um, so our messaging doesn't change. How we show up doesn't change. Our ethos doesn't change. Um, makes it easy to to flex. Yeah. You know, I think another sort of distribution thing that is changing is historically distrib- distribution choices really help define the positioning of a brand. You know, if you're a luxury professional mass, you know, you kind of you know, maybe it was for ease, you were pigeonholed. And there was this hierarchy of, you know, you could, you had to start sort of at luxury and work your way down. You could never start at the bottom and work your way up. But looking to the future, I don't think that touch point is going to, um, from a positioning standpoint, be a branding lover anymore. I totally agree. How do you think brands are going to define their place in the beauty ecosystem without those rules that used to define distribution and then as an extension of that sort of their place in the pecking order of beauty? Yeah, I I truly believe brands are going to have to have a 
very strong point of difference that's really related to what they're delivering to the consumer. What's the proposition that you're delivering vis-a-vis your formulations and your ethos? I think it's going to change dramatically the landscape. And I, I do think personally that over the next decade, there's going to be a bit of a shakeup. You know, there's a lot of saturation in the skincare market. There's a lot of same, same. And I do truly believe that the brands that have a reason for being are the ones that'll go the distance. I think it's going to be harder to build a brand based on sort of a marketing story or to your point, a distribution position that really is sort of an extension of a marketing story. I I really believe, I mean, we talk to quite a few strategics. There's, you know, obviously a lot of interest in what we're doing. And what I hear consistently is they love the fact that there's meat on the bone with SkinFix, that it starts with an ethos and a product sort of strategy and a, and a formulation strategy. And that marketing, you know, marketing driven stories are harder to scale and they don't have as much longevity. And we really have the meat on the bone. And I think that's what's going to be required for brands to kind of go the distance in the future. I think the private equity community is looking for more substance. The strategics are looking for more substance. They're looking for the next heritage brand that's going to last through decades. You know, isn't it funny? Because literally I was having conversations with people, call it two, three years ago, where heritage brands and sort of legacy brands were, were were almost perceived as not cool, not sexy, not relevant. And to me, I'm just like, you know, I I, I I never really believed that and kind of the, the the magical unicorn thinking to me, like, listen, I don't have an MBA, but I can add, like, the numbers just didn't make sense. And I love how all of a sudden there's this shift to respecting heritage and kind of organic, slow, regular growth rather than the hockey stick. Absolutely. I mean, you, you know, I... I met Craig Dubitsky once, who's the founder of Hello. You know Craig, I'm sure. Yes, one of the happiest people in the industry and and most generous. He's amazing. But he said to me, it was early days in SkinFix, and he said, Amy, an overnight success is a decade. And I remember thinking, like, what are you talking about? Decade? But it's so true. You look at Supergoop. You know, they're 15, 16 years old. Urban Decay, you know, 20 years old when they sold to L'Oreal. I think there's this like image of brands just flying, um, as you say, like the hockey stick, like the drunk elephants or the yits or the glossies. And those are the real sort of, you know, outliers. But the rest of us, you know, if you really stick with your ethos, like like um, Holly has done with Supergoop, this idea of teaching people that they need to wear sun care every day and that sun care is foundational skin care. I mean, it took a number of years to gain traction. And now she's flying. Um, and I think SkinFix is similar to that. It just takes some time. I think if you've got something that can go the distance, it's probably going to take a little more time to build it. Um, I don't I don't know if that's accurate, but that's sort of how it feels is that it just, um, you know, it takes some time to kind of educate people in terms of what you're doing and, and to get people on board. And that long-term thinking really requires a a different discipline when it comes to how you look at growth, 
because you really have to have an eye to profitability to have this ability to go the, the, the long haul, if you will, rather than sort of fast growth, quick exit. It's, it's a different way of having to look at kind of cash flow and, and funding the business to hit that inflection point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think absolutely. And if, I think if brands are coming into the space with this ideology of, you know, I'm going to capture this moment and I'm going to build it quickly and exit, they're probably setting themselves up for, for trouble or, or, you know, failure. I think you have to, I mean, I wish I had had more of a long-term mindset, frankly, when I came into, to the category, I think we had a lot of buzz and interest early days with skin fix. And I think it got us sort of thinking, you know, um, beyond ourselves. And, um, it does take time and it is important to think about slow growth and to think about doing it in a way that is sustainable in a way that is, um, you know, reasonable and to not try to sort of blow up too quickly. Uh, it's really, it's really important. So I know your mind is probably looking far beyond the strange moment we find ourselves in, and you're probably thinking way beyond past COVID. So I'm curious, what is the future for SkinFix? Well, right now, I mean, our partnership with Sephora is phenomenal. I mean, as a partner, as a retail partner, they are just awesome. We love working with them. We have an exclusive agreement with them that, you know, right now we have no plans to disengage from. Um, and so, you know, as we look to the future, really for us, there's a lot of categories, a lot of skin issues, a lot of skin concerns that we want to tackle. And so we want to be very careful and deliberate about launching new products. We don't want to obviously launch too many at one time. We want to make sure each one makes sense and that the consumer, there's a need um, and a desire. But our growth for the for the sort of medium term is really inherent in launching new categories. So we're launching into a new category this fall with Sephora that we're really excited about. I mean, when your name is Skin Fix and your your ethos is fixing skin and healthy skin, there's a lot of things I think left for us to tackle. Um, a lot of concerns and conditions that we are excited about hopefully bringing healing solutions for. Um, so that's really where the majority of our growth is. There's obviously new distribution opportunities that are popping up. Um, and we've got some new markets that we're looking at, but we're trying to, to your earlier point, not go too quickly, <laughs> Yeah, you know, really get a foothold in the North American market, really prove success with Sephora. We have a huge opportunity to scale our own D2C, still a small portion of our business and has potential to be a lot greater. So I think between sort of you know, mining what we have in terms of our own distribution right now, and then looking to introduce new categories that can help heal other skin concerns. That's really where we're looking in terms of the future. I have one last question. You know, you have a couple decades of, of beauty history under your belt. What do you think the beauty, the future of the beauty landscape is going to look like in the next three to five years? Such a good question. I mean, I do think there's going to be quite a sort of a sifting through of brands. I think there's just so much right now. I mean, as you know, barriers are so low to entry and there's been 
a lot of newness on the market, which is exciting and fun. And there's obviously been a tremendous amount of innovation, but I do think that there is going to be sort of a, a, a shakeup, if you will. I do think that obviously D2C is going to continue to be really important. And I think there's going to be some really interesting new personalization technologies and AI AI technologies. Um, You look at a brand like Function of Beauty, I think that's really exciting. Um, But I think there's going to be fewer of us. I think there's going to be, you know, you're going to really need to have a point of difference and, um, and deliver something innovative on the market in order to survive. So I think there's probably going to be fewer brands than there are today, but really smart, exciting new concepts. Well, Amy, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's always, I mean, I always love hearing kind of where you are in the the skin fix journey because um, you know, it's it's crazy to think the brand is as old as it is, yet it feels sort of so contemporary at the same time. And I think that's kind of the the art of reinventing heritage brands. So congratulations, because it is not easy to do. Thank you, Kelly. Well, <laughs> I appreciate you having me on today. It's been awesome to talk to you, ask such great questions. I love reading Beauty Matter. It's so thoughtful and insightful. And um, it's great to see you. And I, I hope know. to see you for cocktails in New York soon. Yes, soon, soon, soon. I hope. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Amy. And um, we'll talk real soon. Okay. Thanks All so right. much, Kelly. Bye. For Amy, it's a matter of science. Amy is one of those rare talents that has the skill to seamlessly navigate big corporate brands and the ability to roll up her sleeves and do what it takes as an entrepreneur. She's turned a 19th century skin healing ointment into an award-winning clean, clinically active skincare brand vetted by unbiased dermatologists. Having a portfolio that stretches from eczema to diaper rash and skin care to tattoo care might seem like a stretch for many, but not for SkinFix. This is a business that is skilled at defining white space and pioneering categories, comfortably living in premium and mass outlets, delivering efficacious products at affordable pricing. This heritage brand is perfectly positioned to maximize the confluence of trends and the needs of today's beauty landscape. So in the end, it's a matter of science. I'm Kelly Kovac. See you next time. I'm Amy Risley, and to me, it's a matter of science. When you're treating skin issues and working to create a healthy skin barrier, it's really important to create formulations that have scientific clinical efficacy. It's a Matter Of is a production of Beauty Matter LLC. You can find more content and insights on beautymatter.com and follow us on social media at Beauty Matter Official. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.